Welcome to the MedTech Talent Lab, the number one catalyst for advancing careers and building high-performance teams. Sponsored by the Anthony Michael Group, helping companies secure in-demand talent in regulatory affairs, quality, clinical, engineering, R&D, and other areas for medical device, digital health, diagnostics, and other organizations across the U.S. life sciences sector. Here's your host, Mitch Robbins. Welcome to another episode here on the MedTech Town Lab. I'm your host, Mitch Robbins. I'm the founder and managing director at the company called the Anthony Michael Group, where we help organizations within the medical device, digital health, and diagnostic space to build best-in-class technical teams, areas like regulatory affairs, quality, engineering, et cetera. I am uh, thrilled about our, our guest today. It's uh, Dina Justice. Dina is the Vice President of Regulatory Affairs at Terumo Medical Corporation. Uh, Dina has built an amazing career. Um, first of all, she's got her bachelor's in biomedical engineering and her master's in business administration. And for about 16 years, she worked for the FDA up to the position of branch chief for circulatory support and prosthetic devices, where she oversaw a team that was responsible for planning and organizing the review of PMAs, IBEs, 510Ks, and a variety of other requests assigned to the branch. For the last 12 years, she's climbed the ranks of regulatory affairs leadership to her current role as vice president. And for those of you unfamiliar with Terumo Medical, it's one of the leading global manufacturers of a variety of medical devices and supplies, and it's the U.S. subsidiary of Tokyo-based Terumo Corporation. I'm grateful for a variety of reasons uh, that Dina is here, but primarily she's here to join us on the important topic of women in medtech leadership and really the outlook for women um, across the industry. And I think it's a very hot topic, especially recently we had International Women's, uh, Women's Day and i um, excited to kind of get into the thick of the topic. So without further ado, Dina, welcome to the show. Hi, uh, very honored to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. You know, I sought you out specifically because I know this is a topic near and dear to your heart for a variety of reasons, not only because of your own story, but what you're trying to do for the, for the industry as a whole. And of course, within regulatory affairs, and even more finite within regulatory affairs, even at your own company. Um, but I want to go back, and I, I really want to give people a foundation to uh, to leverage as we uh, progress in the discussion. I want to start with really how you got into life sciences in general, and how you gravitated and ended up in regulatory affairs. Sure. Um, so regulatory affairs uh, to me was a very you know about thirty years ago when I when I graduated from college, I majored in engineering, biomedical engineering, which was a very new field at the time. Um, I believe when I was an undergrad, um, there were only six schools in the nation at the time that were offering biomedical engineering as a undergraduate degree. Um, and so I also, what I really wanted to do was get into medicine and to become a, a you know physician. So I majored, actually dual majored in biomedical engineering and pre-med. So my whole thought process growing up was always, you know, I'm going to become a cardiovascular surgeon and I'm going to be an engineer like the Jarvik Hart back in the day. Um, and that's where I wanted to go. And I'll share an interesting story, some similar to that in a little while. But um, so I didn't really know anything about regulatory science. Now, today they offer degrees, actually, in regulatory affairs um, at certain universities. But there was none of that 30 years ago. And so, um, you know, when I finished undergrad, I, I think from a little burnout, I really wanted to make some money before I went to medical school. Um, 
and, and buy some time. And I, and this opportunity at the FDA came like literally a conversation at a party with drinks at somebody's father that works for the FDA. Maybe I should talk to him kind of thing. Um, you know, I thank God every day that that happened, but that's where I, I was pulled into this regulatory affairs. But really my intention was just to buy some time to go to medical school. No idea that that was going to make a full career, um, career out of this. And, and, and just a really quick story that, um, so the, the first year I was at the FDA, my boss was getting his 10 year pin. Um, and I was thinking to myself, you know, I'm arrogant, I'm 22, I'm going to be this doctor and stuff. And he's getting his, his pin. And I was thinking to myself, if I'm here 10 years in the government, I want someone to shoot me in the forehead. Right? And so when I, when I actually got my 10 year pin, I framed my, 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 award and have the pin on it and it's still on my wall to this day. And people wonder, you know, why that's there. And that's there to remind myself that life happens. And, you know, when you're always planning, they always say, you know, that, you know, planning is that like life's biggest joke, um, that I had all these great plans and I ended up going in a different path. And it's to remind me to stay humble and understand and listen to the keys and, and follow what it is that's the world is sending to you or God or whatever you believe in, in your path. And it may not be what you're planning at 22, where you end up. So that's sort of my, uh, I love this story about watching your boss with the 10 year pin. And then you are, there you are 10 years later, unexpectedly, obviously. Um, Talk more, talk more about, I mean, it's cool how you got in and how, you know, that's usually what happens is connections and um, you got into the FDA and there you were for years and years. Talk more about regulatory. You know, you've, you've chosen to stay the path of regulatory. Um, What do you like about it? Why, why regulatory? Yeah. And, and, and who knew? And um, little did I know that this would be something that I am actually really good at too. Like I had no idea. But the thing about regulatory science, I always say is that either you love it or you hate it. And, you know, there's many people in my company who will talk to people in regulatory and be like, what you guys do is so cool. Um, and they want to learn more about it or others, their eyes will, you know, just glaze over. But the thing about regulatory I, I like is, it, you know, it's very similar to law in the sense that you have to do a lot of creative thinking and critical thinking. Um, there's a lot of gray and you have to sort of interpret the gray um, and think about the risk benefits to the company. So not only is something, um, it may be clear that maybe that's pushing the line of it, but on the risk side, it's a very low risk that something would happen and you have to go to make those recommendations. So for me, um, it's always different. It's not just a textbook where you just go in and find a formula. You know, you have the foundation and then you have to build on these really interesting situations and try to be that person who's critically thinking um, through it. So, you know, for me, this is something that I, I, I feel like I've, right now I'm at my A game um, in the regulatory fair space and, you know, love to mentor people who start seeing it and wondering what it is and how can I learn more. I'm so grateful there's degrees and certifications and things like that out there that you can get a better flavor for what we mean by regulatory affairs, particularly the medical device space. I'm going to throw a curveball at you. Um, yep. You know, you've been in this in this space for a while. What about people who are working in the industry now who maybe are earlier on in their career and they're working in an engineering function or they're working in some sort of clinical function and, you know, they're seeing, like you said, they're seeing kind of what their peers do, but they don't really know. What would you say as to why somebody may, you know, may um, be inclined to at least take a look further into what regulatory could do as a pathway forward for their career? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. And 
it often happens like I'll be in team meetings or, you know, the, the after hours where somebody will come by and say, you know, this may not be my area, but I'm curious why the decision was this, or I'm curious why we're going this direction. And they have this like inquisitive mind uh, on the regulatory side of things. Um, what I know is that getting into regulatory, I hear this almost every day when I'm interviewing, is so hard to get into. You know, so how do you get into it if you're not starting it? Almost like starting positions in many companies say you need three years of experience. Well, how could you start if you don't have any? Um, and so, you know, I really believe that a- any type of experience that you have in this space is beneficial to you, even if it's not in regulatory. Sometimes just being in a company and understanding the company and the way the company operates is a leg up on somebody else that maybe has three years experience in regulatory, but not, you know, in, in, in cardiovascular or in Terumo or in, you know, whatever companies that you work for. I think, I think that helps too. But now with the certifications that are out there and things, there's also ways you can get training. And, you know, I think training holds a lot of weight in the regulatory side of things to know that you have at least explored it. You find it interesting. Um, Etc. So I always recommend that if it's available to you and you can train in regulatory, even if you're not in regulatory, um, always helpful. Awesome. So I want to transition a little bit because today's topic is really talking about the the outlook for women in med tech, in med tech leadership, um, in you know some of these technical functions, and you're the epitome of who we should be having on the show for this for this topic. One, because you've lived it and you continue to live it. And two, uh, because I know that it's near and dear to you and that you're doing a lot to try and give back um, to, to, the, to women who are trying to uh, follow, so to speak, into your footsteps. Talk, if you would, I guess, about maybe some of the trials and tribulations that you faced over the years as a, a female, but then now, you know, over the last few years as a female leader uh, who's been rising up through the ranks. Uh, sure, yeah. And um, I, I think a very important topic I think I think women are in a better situation today than they've ever been uh, in, in terms of advancement and leadership and understanding. Uh, I think back to 30 years ago and um, even in the government, and I know that, that Trump just passed a law while he was, um, was the president about um, government leave for pregnancy. Because even back in the day, um, here I am as a woman in a, in a field when I was an engineer studying mostly men, right? And then I get into a field engineering, stereotypically men, biomedical engineering, more women um, than, than the other disciplines. But being able to be heard in meetings, being able to be um, understood, uh, perceptions, and all those things 30 years ago are so different than today. Still not where it needs to be. But um, I think... You know, I'm a, but by nature, like, so I'm a very situational manager and I try to think about who I'm managing and, and what needs they have for them to be successful and to understand the personality types. And I don't think that was something that was ever afforded to me. Um, you, you know, I'm very, I'm very personable. Um, I like to joke. I'll definitely be a person in the, in the beginning of the room. But when we're talking business, I'm all here. It's all business. Um, and I think that that stereotype of being a strong woman with you know, labeling the B word or, you know, the, the word that I hate the most is the emotional world word, um, I think has been a real big challenge that um, I've taken very seriously and really tried to think about how we can change that perception. Like women, I believe women are emotional by nature, by just nature. We have mm-hmm. emotions, right? Everyone does. So I don't like the word emotional because if you're not emotional, you're a robot. Um, 
but there's argumentative, which is a different word. There is, you know, obstructionist, which is a different word. Or are you talking about somebody who's being passionate or somebody that's being, um, trying to be persuasive? You know, those are different words than being emotional. And I think I really had to battle that stereotype um, over and, I, you know, I have tons and tons of stories and, you know, I, I definitely can learn from my mistakes and think that I could do something differently. But I think for, as a woman in general, um, we're not really afforded the opportunity to make mistakes. You know, you make a mistake and it's held, that perception is now attached to you forever um, mm. rather than as a growing opportunity. And I think that's something that I'm really striving to, to make different today so that perception that, that you are allowed to take risks and fail and learn and move and be persuasive and be a active member at a seat at the table and have a different personality type than the person next to you, whether it's a woman or a man, and still be effective, I think is, is, is something that I'm really striving because those were the biggest challenges I believe I had um, over and over again. And then, you know, you can get into, and I know we'll talk about it, work-life balance and trying to be, you know, a good family member and being a good worker and being the primary caregiver of your family and still being the primary caregiver as a manager at work um, and balancing all those. It's definitely a struggle. And I think things are changing and I think changing for the better. Um, and there's lots to be learned and lots to share and lots to mentor to, to help alleviate some of those trials. Yeah. And I, so from my perspective, I think just kind of looking back over even like you said, the last 20, 30 years, tremendous change has happened. Um, I think this is more of a priority than it's ever been. And I think there's more of a voice um, from from women that is being more and more listened to. But I want to go back to what you said as far as, you know, being labeled as emotional or being labeled as, um, you know, certain derogatory words because of the way that you were you were presenting as strong. But it was, you know, being stereotyped as something else. How did you deal with that emotionally? You know, and how did you live with that and continue to fight on versus, you know, feel defeated? Yeah. So I think I built up, you know, it's interesting because I think I, I'm very even keeled until certain trigger points. And we all have those things. And those are always the trigger points that I can just feel now, right or wrong. I tend to internalize things more than I do lash out. So in a, in a way, um, I would just take it on and sort of beat myself up and say, I have to change. Um, but I don't know if I really needed to change. I know, I, I know even today I'll hear people say, you know, don't worry about Dina. If she has something to say, she'll definitely tell you. Or if there's something wrong, she'll definitely bring it up. Almost like, shouldn't everyone do that? <laughs> like, it's always just, you know, she's a straight shooter. She'll tell you. I'm like, everyone else in this room is a straight shooter. Why are you pointing to me? Because I'm the only woman in the room. Um, uh, kinds of things. And so, you know, I built up a lot of resentment, even though I didn't act out on the resentment. It's in there. And that's one thing that when we talk about um, ways to overcome is letting go of that resentment, realizing this is how things are and that we are going to have to be strong in helping to change that perception and to not be resentful of comments like that and not be resentful of something that happened, but think about how can I help change that the next time? Um, and it's taken me 30 years to get there. But now that I'm there. I was going to say it takes an awful lot of strength, awful lot of strength. It does. But now that I'm there, it's like, it's like freeing and it's a release. And now it almost makes me internally laugh when these things happen because um, they still happen. But, you know, it's more a reflection on, I, I try to believe it's more a reflection on their ignorance versus it is me be, doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one of the things that we were talking about 
offline is just the fact that, uh, and now it's, it's going to be on the record, which I'm appreciative that we can do this, but you've overcome a variety of adversity and challenges throughout your career to get to where you are today, but you've done this simultaneously as a single mother. And I think one of the things that we were talking about offline was a lot of women almost feel like it has to be one or the other. You know, do I need to stay, you know, figure out a way to raise my child and I can't focus on my career. I really want to focus on my career. I'm not sure I could do it if I have kids, all these different things that are going through the mind of, of a woman. But here you are, you, you've been successful, you've done it. I want you to talk about, um, you know, some of the challenges that you faced both in your, your own mind, you know, what you were telling yourself, as well as some of the real, realistic challenges that you faced just by the sheer nature of what it's been. Yeah. Um, and so I want other women to be able to hear this from you. Sure, sure, absolutely. Um, yeah, and, you know, again, my story's not... Um, is not, you know, independent or whatever the word I'm looking for. Um, but here I was, ended up as a single mom, very, my kids very young, five and eight, and it wasn't anything I planned, right? But it, it's what happened. So life happens and here I am um, young and I have young children and a career. And I remember being faced with the decision of, do I need to put off working harder, building my career path in lieu of all the responsibilities I have as a mother? Um, again, thinking back 20 years ago, and my kids now are 23 and 20, um, how different things were. Because it was, I remember there were times where, you know, I had office hours, 8.30 to to 5.30, let's say, and how many mornings there were where one kid was running late and now I'm stressed all morning trying to make up the time because if I'm not in my desk by 8.30, I'm going to have to, you know, answer to something or people will think that you're not working. Um, When I give a hundred percent the entire time that I'm there and probably get more accomplished in that time. I think, I think those perceptions are are going now with more availability for flexible work schedules and stuff, you know, but I just think I had to put my head down, power through it. You know, I was, I went for a walk with my son because it was beautiful yesterday. um, And we walked around the block and he was just talking about like, how did you do it? And I said, you know, every day was waking up, getting the kids to school. You know, you're in, you're in a job, you get a call from school saying that your kid's sick. And I have to say, can you hold them there for 45 minutes? Because I got to travel to get there and I got to finish what I'm doing here. And then I'm stressed the whole way home. And then you're trying to work at home and, and people see you as, you know, being lazy. And then you have to drive into practice and I'm taking phone calls while they're at practice in my car because we're talking to a company in Europe um, and then picking them up, getting dinner ready and then, you know, going again. And I think I did it. I traveled and I had babysitters to do things and stuff like that. But I don't think I was ever in the moment. I think I missed a lot as a mother, even though I was doing all the things you needed and providing it. But I don't know if I ever sat down and said, this is so fun or I'm so happy to be here because it was always, what am I doing next? And I find with COVID, here I am working from home. I've been exactly one year today um, working from home. The things that we're able, and it's not perfect, I know I don't have children in school trying to do remote learning and all the other stuff, but the ability to be able to do things that you need to do for yourself and for your family and still do your job, whether I log on at six o'clock at night or eight o'clock at night and answer emails for three hours, makes me such a better, happier person and being more productive. And the happier I believe that people are in their life and being able to manage the things they do, the more they'll give back. So you're not losing anything. You're not losing productivity. You're not losing output when you have people that aren't stressed all the time. And I felt like I was always, you know, I don't know if stress was the right word because I was just go, 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 and constantly going and not being able to 
really be in the moment at work or at home. And so, you know, my prayer is that this is changing and that it will be a lot easier for people to be able to do both. And you can't be present at your son's soccer game and not feel all this tremendous amount of guilt that you're not answering the emails that you needed to answer because their game started at three because they're playing away or something and you want to attend and you feel bad you can't go because, you know, why can't I go at three? I could pick up again at six after we feed them dinner. That's the difference, right? But I think that's changing. And I think that will make everybody such better and more productive workers and have a better outlook on life and a better, you know, healthy, whether, you know, internally healthy, externally, externally healthy or stuff like that, I think it's going to make all the difference in the world. Well, I think it's going to take leaders like yourself who see it that way, because there's a lot of old school mentality out there still that you need to be here eight, between eight and five. And it is what it is. Just like we're coming to a major crossroads for organizations that have seen organizations that never thought they'd ever have a remote workforce who have been forced to be in a position to have a remote workforce and being pleasantly surprised that it's actually working. But there's a major crossroads about to that we're about to embark on is how many of those companies are going to demand their workforce comes back to work on a full-time basis in the office and how many employees say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'll go find another job where they do embrace remote. So I do believe it's going to take people with, with that type of mindset to continue to, to um, push the change that we're starting to see. But there's something that we're missing here because you're talking about being stressed out, you know, running from the games, um, you know, doing what you got to do wherever you could, whether it's in the car or, you know, whatever it may be something kept you going. You could have thrown in the towel and gotten a different job. Something kept you going and you didn't let you, and you didn't, uh, it's not like you dropped one ball or the other. You kept them both moving. So what was it that you were able to, uh, to rely on internally? Yeah, actually that's, that's a great question. And you know, part of it, I needed to work. Like I know I was faced with some situations where I think I didn't react to them. Um, the way I probably should have, because I didn't want to, cause a storm because I needed the job, you know, here you are, you're a single mom and you start thinking these things, um, for whatever reason, but, you know, being good at what you do. And I've always known that I was good at what I did made working easier and being made it, made it, um, able to, we one thing if I hated my job, you know, and I've never, and I've been very fortunate to never really hate my job. Like I really love regulatory. I love the thought process, the parts that, um, I think are, they make the job though, are the people that you work with. And I've, you know, from the beginning of me becoming a human manager, um, the day before 9-11 happened. So I became manager on Monday, 9-11 happened on a Tuesday. Um, and I've always tried to say that I want to be the manager that I wish I had. I want to be able to be supportive and give the, give people the tools. Now, granted, they need to be stretched. And sometimes people need to do things they don't, aren't comfortable doing, but give them the tools to be successful. And I think that that loyalty and that dedication to bringing people up in regulatory, teaching them what I know and giving them that and hearing people tell me, like I have somebody that sent me an email the other day. I, I haven't been her boss for 15 years. That I still was the best boss that she ever had. When you hear things like that, again, it just makes me want to keep going and be, keep be wanting to do that. Just like if your child says to you, mom, you know, you, thank you for doing that for me or, you know, those kinds of stuff. To me, it's almost the same. You know, I just try to do my best in what I do and try to make it better for other people. And I think I stayed where I am, particularly moving up the ranks that we are, because I want to make sure that my daughter, when she's in, in, in her job field, which won't be regulatory, although who knows, right? Um, um, that they feel supported. They feel heard. They feel like they can do their best 
um, at it. And so I'm really have dedicated and I know I don't want to be cliche about it, but this really has been what has kept me going um, to know that if I can do it, I can show other people that they can do it as well. And what, what did I learn all, along the way that I can teach people so that they don't have to face things that I had to face? Great, great segue, because, you know, there were, in the recent past, there was a post that you had put up, you shared a post. And one of the things that you had said on it was, I see you, I hear you, I support you. And I, and that's kind of honestly what stopped me and made me want to reach out to you specifically is I'm like, she's perfect for this type of, for type of topic. But what do you think some of the stories are that women are telling themselves, uh, as far as why they can't, you know, quote unquote, can't make it to the status that, that you've achieved? What I want you to think about it, you know, from somebody who's 10 years behind you, 15 years behind you, maybe some of the things that they're telling themselves, um, and things that you would want to basically, um, bust myths, so to speak, that you would want to bust to give them the courage that they can do this. Yeah. And, and what I want to say, absolutely, you absolutely can. If this is something that you like to do, it's another thing to say, I'm not sure I'm on the fence. Then I'm, I'm all about counseling about, you know, what's the right fit for you and what's the right job role. But let's just say you like it. Um, you absolutely have it. And you may be, you may have gotten subliminal messages or direct messages throughout your life that you aren't good enough or that you need to work harder or that, you know, we make, women make less money than men do for the same job. Um, I haven't experienced that because I won't, I won't let it happen. Um, so, you know, I just want people, and I, and I would say this to a man or to, you know, uh, somebody of color or everybody else who feels like they can't because of something, you can. And you and if this opportunity or this company isn't giving you, your needs aren't being met, then find another one, right? There is another one out there that will be able to support that part of it. And the job, if the job is interesting and that people are good, you can go as far as you want to go. And sometimes it may not be management. It may be an expert in your field. And it's okay to, to not want to be a manager. It's okay if that's where you feel your strength is, is a subject matter expert in a topic. But you can do whatever it is that you want to do, regardless of what's put out there. Now, it's not always easy and you may have to forge a path, but it can be done. And I just think there's been so many subliminal messages thrown at us as, as, as humans in all different directions that we start believing. And it starts to become a core of our belief system. And it's not true. And I'm the first one here to tell you because I believed it too. I felt like I overcompensated um, in a lot of areas because I felt like I wasn't good enough. And you know what? I was good enough. I was definitely good enough. Clearly. And, you know, you don't make it to the vice president level without a skill set, without tenacity, without, um, you know, personality. I just believe that there's a variety of things that have, have to come into place and line up to be able to be a vice president in any organization. What do you think, if you were to sum it up in a couple different, you know, bullet points, as far as people who are one day looking to be a vice president and make it to that level, are there a few bullet points that you can sum up that you think have helped you reach that, that level of success? Yes. I think one is to understand your brand. Who are you and what is it that you're putting out there? And yours, it could be different than someone else. Create a brand. You know, if my brand is that I am funny, outgoing, but smart and to the point, that's my brand, right? Um, be authentic. Like I ask for nothing more than people to be authentic. Who are you and be authentic to who you are and people will accept you. And, you know, I think it takes a tribe um, to raise a child, it takes a tribe to solve a problem at work and everybody brings something to the table. And who are you and what do you bring so that we know where we need, need to fill things in? Um, 
I think I think the biggest one for me has been to let go of resentment, to let go of all of that resentment that you build up because you feel like you're not being heard or you're hearing those subliminal messages or you're seeing things happening and instead try to be a, a, a change leader. Um, very hard to do. Um, I have a, a personal coach and she helped me through this and I listened intently because I was strong on it. And I, by letting go of that resentment, I cannot believe how many things have opened up for me um, recently. And again, it could come with age, it could come with you know experience, et cetera. But that's something that I think if you're authentic and letting go of that resentment and learning to learn from your mistakes and in helping the others, I think that the world is your oyster. Awesome. I want to I want to sum up what you said. So understanding what your brand is and honing that. Yeah. Being authentic and working to understand how and then executing on letting go of resentment. Agreed. It's awesome. All right. So last thing I want to wrap up with, because this has been fantastic. There's an association out there called the Women's Initiative Network. Mm-hmm. Um, I know for a fact that you're, you're um, pretty involved with the association, but then you're also doing things internally for your own organization that align with, you know, what's going on with that, uh, with that group. Will you talk a little bit more about what the Women's Initiative Network is? And for those who are listening, who want to learn more, how they can, how, how they can learn more? Sure. I mean, the Women's Initiative Network is a um, national organization that uh, is there that provides tools, um, et cetera, to help women um, not only um, understand themselves, but but grow and teach all the things that I've been talking about. And the amount of resources that are in there is almost overwhelming um, to provide uh, sources for women. And many companies have um, joined the Women's Initiative Network and have started versions of whatever that is in their company. And I'm very grateful that my company as well has started a women's initiative network within our company. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I, I'm offering um, that I'm developing is to understand mentoring. Like I, I believe I've, I've ded- I'm dedicating the last third of my career to being a mentor and a coach and a teacher and to show what it's like, how you can be an effective leader and where do you want to go on your path, et cetera? And how do you find those people in your career so that you can you know, move up? And so, you know, the mentoring, coaching, sponsoring, what are they and, and how can you use them and how do you find one and what's the purpose? So I'm trying to bring a lot of those types of um, trainings and thoughts and stuff to, to my own company as well as a, as a pioneer in that, in that regard. So, you know, I think um, having these types of organizations within companies sometimes, um, there's lots of other ones besides just the Women's Initiative Network, um, I think is only going to be good. I think it brings awareness. Um, I think it's incorporating. They have uh, programs for men and for their awareness as well and and those kinds of things. So um, I'm very grateful and very honored to be a part of that. That's awesome. Do you know the the website where people can look into this more? Uh, I believe it's called the Women's Initiative Network. I was going to look that up real fast, but if not, I'll get that to you. Okay, I tell you what, so we will put the uh, Women's Initiative Network uh, contact info in the show notes. So for those who are interested in learning more, they'll have, um, they'll have the link there in the show notes. Listen, I can't thank you enough for being here. You're an amazing woman. Uh, you've accomplished amazing things, both personally and professionally. And I think that you really are uh, the leading light for other, not only other professionals looking to follow in your footsteps, but, you know, women who can look to you as a role model and even as an indirect mentor of, you know, this is what she went through. Look where she's gotten. I can do this myself. So I want to thank you so much for being on the show today. 
Oh, it was very fun. And thank you very much, too. And I'm happy to share. So uh, it, it's been an honor. Thanks for listening to the MedTech Talent Lab podcast. For more content-rich episodes, log on to theanthonymichaelgroup.com or subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform.